we are back. Another edition of our Mountain Fitness Podcast. Once again, back Joel Rather here. As always, I have my counterpart, Mike Barnes, alongside me. Mike, how are you today? Excellent, Coach. How are you? Not bad. About the same as last week. Just kind of like <laughs> cramming them in, baby, trying to uh, <laughs> maximize our time. So it's been a busy day, but uh, but it's good. good nice Number one, get a chance to sit down for a second. I've been on my feet uh, most of the afternoon here, so uh, always nice to uh, take a little bit of a breather. And what could be better than to talk about some training and, more importantly, how it relates to hunting, which is what we all want to do more of. So, Roger that. Yeah, so if you have not watched our podcast yet, there this is episode number six, I believe. And the previous five episodes cover a myriad of things. We've talked about uh, programming. We've talked about uh, strength in terms of specializing strength as we kind of build up to the season. We've talked about mobility, uh, hip mobility, ankle mobility, all these things that we, we deem to be important and valuable within our training program. We had a great session on conditioning and metabolics, uh, the how, the what, the why, and that type of thing. And so today, we kind of wanted to talk a little bit about some advanced uh, programming as far as exercises goes. We're going to talk about some things that a lot of folks love to do, some stuff that maybe is a little sexier, uh, maybe is a little bit more aggressive, powerful. We're going to talk about the use of some different implements and those types of things. And most importantly, along with everything that we've talked about so far, is making sure that we understand where do these things go, right? And so, Mike, let's, uh, let's kick this thing off. I want to kind of ask you does do these things you know fit in place with our hunting community and and if so like where do we start with some of these things as far as them being uh making sense right like how how are they going to help us yeah well of course they make sense and absolutely i think they're essential for advanced programming once you've got the fundamentals mastered and you've got the exercise technique in place and you've got your sets and reps kind of figured out to a degree, then you start adding a little bit more. And as your body becomes more accustomed, adapted, um, okay, so let's start getting a little bit more um, advanced in some of the training techniques. And it's not just exercises, it's sets and reps and some of the things you may see around your commercial gyms, it's bands and chains, velocity-based training, uh, bar paths. Some of the techniques uh, during those movements aren't um, the same as you get more proficient at your, at, with your lifting techniques too. So we got yeah. a lot to cover yeah. and um, yeah, man. So I'm ready. Yeah. Well, and, and I think a lot of times what I like to try and make sure that people understand is like, as a, just a disclaimer, right. Kind of starting out typically as we think about a lot of these exercises and, and we've talked about like pitfalls within training stuff that we see the ways that people are picking up things you know kind of randomizing stuff and trying to make more sense of it a lot of the exercises and things that we're going to talk about today typically are going to come when we think about like prioritization and where do they start to kind of fit within our program is we should have went through a period where we've kind of established a strength base. We've went through uh, six, eight weeks or something like that, where we've done a lot of our basic movement patterns. We've kind of established some strength. Maybe we started working a little bit on some hypertrophy and we put a foundation kind of in place because as we start moving into some of these things we're going to talk about today, such as 
kettlebell swings and maybe Olympic lifting, or as Mike mentioned, adding bands or chains or those types of things. Um, those, those need to be in step B and C and D a little bit further down the road. And I think a lot of times what we see happen, especially, you know, we talked about this previously and some other stuff when we think about CrossFit, for example, and, you know, people ask me all the time, is CrossFit good or bad? And I'm like, well, guess what? There's not bad, bad programs. There's usually bad coaching, right? And we have to understand that if we're going to do some of these things, we should work our way up to them. And, and a lot of times that's where some of these things kind of fall on uh, maybe deaf ears and people just jump in and like, ah, this is what the group's doing tonight. Let's uh, go ahead and start doing some snatches with someone that's never done these exercises, right? And so that's kind of just my, my disclaimer to get started here. But we've established, if you listen to our previous podcast, we've talked a lot about different strength and strength building and how we progress some of these things. So now as we start to introduce some of these things, Mike, talk about uh, maybe your top three or four movements or exercises in this kind of realm that you think are valuable to our backcountry folks and how is it going to help them? I would, you know, I, I guess if you kind of had to look at it as, okay, the fundamentals first. So we're going to push, pull, um, squat and some right. derivation of there. So it can include some type of dumbbell row, a pull up, a heavy pull down, an overhead press, um, front squat and or back squat. If, if one or the other or both doesn't make right. too much of a difference as long as you're doing them. Right. And some lunges and some hinges. Okay. So we've got that. We feel real comfortable with your technique. Right. Um, I just, you know, Joel, we could, we could have a, a day long conversation on what we just observe in the gym and people that have been training for an extended amount of time that continue to not improve and do exercises incorrectly. Yeah. So I would definitely encourage if people don't have, uh, the background or they think they know and they don't get someone that knows and yourself and myself, and there's qualified coaches all over the place. So get the basics first. Now to answer your question, what comes next? I would probably start with, uh, cleans. And if I can lay that on top of the scientific reasoning is now, now we're starting to work more in, um, uh, fast contractions, strength, speed, some people call it that, but we want to be competent across the spectrum of contraction velocities and the associated loads. Mm -hmm. So if we look at some of our scientific foundations on that, you can move lightweight or no weight really fast and right. you can move heavy weight slow until it stops. So there's a curve out there that Joel and I know about called the force velocity curve. We're starting to work a little bit faster on that velocity, but the power output goes up. And that means that it's going to be weighted to a degree, probably between, depending on who it is, between 30 and maybe 70, 80, 90% um, with the associated range. That depends on 30%, someone that's very inexperienced, all the way up to the higher weights. Um, I would probably classify those as an experienced weightlifter can handle 85, 90% and really right. hit those high power outputs. Now, all that said, the downfall occurs where, Hey, I can deadlift 400, 500 pounds and I can power clean 225. 
you don't have any technique. You need to back way off 60 kilos. And if you want to go in the kilogram realm and just master that technique and master the speed and the velocity of those contractions until you've got it really, really good. And, yeah. and that may take, that may take years. To tell you the truth. Yeah. Well, so and, and I, that's a mouthful. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and I think so, that that's a really good start. Right. Uh, I think that when I look at that and, and I think about how I train now and, and the athletes that walk through my door, and then I think back to being, let's say a, a college strength conditioning coach where I had those kids coming in three to four days a week. They're there so consistently over time, right? They don't have anything else and they, they can't make any excuses. This is a non-negotiable, right? Right. You know, I think about the, the, clean power clean like we could you know we could talk a whole day about terminology right i don't necessarily want to get into that but we would spend six to eight weeks of teaching progressions of just cleans which is breaking it down like in a kind of part part whole method of each phase of that lift and mm -hmm. try and get folks to better understand the technical aspect of it because as you said if we are not doing these types of exercises very well, this is where things go really bad. This is where we get people that have shoulders and wrists and backs and, you know, all these things that, that can pop up when we start thinking about moving stuff with power, right. And with speed. Okay. And, you know, going back to that comment kind of for me about, you know, CrossFit good or bad or whatever. And I tell people all the time, I'm like, well, guess what? If, if you really watch, right. You know, they put them on ESPN now, the CrossFit games and stuff. It's like, it's astounding how many people have developed pretty amazing Olympic lifting ability based on CrossFit, right? And really? there's good and bad with that, right? Because in a place where maybe the coach is not capable of teaching them well, you're going to get a lot of people hurt, right? But there's yeah. a lot of really good places now that are getting people to do really sound and pretty solid Olympic lifting. And to me, I think, you know, if you want to talk about a benefit, right, because you get a lot of bashing on it and things like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that. That's good, right? Because most of the time, even in our place, right, it's, it's a very technical, tough lift. And if we don't know how to teach it properly, yeah, we, we have to take a lot of time in order to install some of these things. And so um, I, I, I'm, what's your thoughts kind of moving on that about teaching or doing Olympic based lifting uh, via dumbbell, for example, as opposed to a bar. Uh, Olympic lifts or some type of explosive movements with dumbbells. Yeah. I kind of like them, but to me, if I'm going to work with a strength base and now I'm going to try to work, power um i want the highest power outputs i can get i like to use velocity based training it it bluetooths over to my phone i can get an instantaneous power output per rep as as i'm training someone so that's really what i, what I kind of go for and there's some nuance to that as well i i like the single arm uh snatches with dumbbells in particular i 100%. don't particularly i i don't know what it is exactly joel so i'm going to make some generalizations here. And if you can clean, I don't know, I'm just gonna say hundred kilos for three to five reps, you're going to probably cut that weight in half if you're going to do it with dumbbells. So effectively, what does that result with a power output, all things held equal? I don't think it's half the power output, but it's probably pretty close. Maybe 50 to 60%. Yeah, it could be. 
So yeah. there's some nuance to it. How fast can you move that dumbbell? Um, whatever you're going to get 100 kilos. So you've got you go from you know 220, 220 pounds down to 110 pounds. So you got 55 pound dumbbells, and you need to move it just as fast. Right. The mechanics change with the dumbbells if you're going to do a, a power clean with a dumbbell as opposed to a barbell. Yeah. All that said, okay, I can do some squat jumps. I can do split squat jumps. I can get that higher power output. I can phase away from those. I can get more proficient with um, with moving uh, the barbell as well. And I've just, you know, you might even just take a look at it. I'm sure you do, Joel. Someone puts on 60 kilos and then you see the bar move and you're like, he's got plenty of strength. He's just not moving the bar fast enough. He's not that right. efficient with it. Yeah. And that's where, you know, we can get into a, a longer conversation about that. But um yeah, that's kind of my starting point. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm a huge fan of dumbbell snatches for sure. Dumbbell jerk variations, those types of things. I think that when we talk about installing or teaching or coaching people in, in any of these lifts, right? Our three Olympic lifts, just if, you know, you're, hopefully you're not staring at this thing going like, what the heck are they talking about? Is <laughs> we have a clean, a jerk and a snatch, right? Um, all three lifts have different variations uh, of them, but for me, I like the dumbbell version of a jerk and a snatch for sure. Yeah. Simply, simply because I can teach them a lot quicker and yeah. I can, I can work on them unilaterally, meaning like single arm. Uh, we do variations where we'll do two leg, we'll do single leg, we'll do single arm, single leg. And we get a lot of like great patterns of like stability and force production that resembles I'll just call it ambulation movement, right? Right arm, left leg, left arm, right leg, right? Think yep. about how we like walk and run and those types of things. And so for me, I, that's a, a mainstay in a lot of the stuff that I do is utilizing those types of, of variations with dumbbells. Um, yeah. Because now, now in my setting, I don't have the luxury or time necessarily to get into like really technical Olympic lifting with a bar and going through progressions with kids and stuff like that, like I used to. And so, you know, I kind of default to that, uh, admittedly, and it doesn't mean that I don't like those other lifts it, it, with a bar variation or, or kind of more traditional, if you will. But, um, I've just found it's like bang for my buck. How can I install it, teach it, coach it and get, get what we want. Right. Which is yeah. some force, some power, some speed and those types of things. And to me, it, I've just found that that's kind of what I kind of yield well, to. Well, not, not for nothing though, too, in your defense is when you have a room of, you know, 10 athletes or more and it, it, you know, you, whatever you got five by five set up on a power clean, it's, you know, your quality control at that point, you're not the yeah. subtleties of those movements. You just can't coach unless you're doing it one-on-one -on -one or, or two-on-one or three-on-one on a yeah. single platform as well. Yeah. So it's, it's not as, it's, it's, it's not as easy as you think when you coaching, you know, three, four or five <laughs> platforms at once. I mean, you're literally walking up and down going, do this. Don't forget this full extension there hips through it, it's, yeah. yeah, as opposed to one-on-one, -on -one, which I love. I mean, I can sure. really zoom in on some of the, the really technical aspects of those movements. Most definitely. So kind of move, moving on from there, like as we start getting into things like we call like accommodating strength, right? Use of bands, use of chains, assistance, those types of things. Um, give some examples of some of those types of things that uh, exercise-wise as well as like 
changing up kind of the implementation. Why, why is that stuff even valuable? Right? Kind of playing, playing dumb. So if you're going to start out and you've got um, some barbell mastery, let's call it, um, just say, for instance, on the bench press, and you've been benching for a long time, but you haven't used any of these accommodated methodologies, bands and chains in particular, um, you might see different size bands around their chains and how they're going to be loaded on the bar. And some of these guys that are lifting guys, guys and women that are lifting heavier, um, they'll come up with different um, ways to kind of load the bar, be it, a, be it on a deadlift, a squat or a bench press and very effective, but you got to know when and how much yeah. to load them. So what I'm seeing is, you know, you'll see someone, for instance, doing dips with, you know, whatever, hundred pounds of chains around their neck. I think it makes for a nice picture, right. but that's Instagram worthy. Yeah. That's not the movement <clears throat> to do that. So I think what else, what also happens, and I'm, I'm working with a guy now that's got a pretty good solid, you know, powerlifting background. As soon as I put them on uh, bands with the light, with the correct loading parameters of which I'll talk about here in a second, um, he just took off. I mean, he took off fast, like, you know, 30, 40 pounds on his bench press in a matter of about six, six to eight weeks. And it's like, well, he wasn't used to it. So as it jumped up so quick, we changed his bench press technique a little bit, added the appropriate, the loading parameter was we're going to do everything about the same um, we changed his pressing technique slightly. We put bands in about at 80 to 85% of his max repetition max. And then I use somewhere between three, four or five repetitions once a week. However, as soon as I saw the bar starting to slow down, it, we weren't going to failure per set. So there's some nuance to it, um, that, that needs to be addressed truly and if you original load on as many bands as we can, then we're going to have on 135 in the, on the bar. And this individual can, you know, say, just grab numbers, 315 to 350 bench press. Um, doesn't work that way. And while well, the bands don't work, okay, look, everything's just changed. And how do you integrate that into your, um, just say, bench pressing routine? And, and how do you get the most out of it? So I think yeah. what you're seeing is, you know, let's load up all these gizmos and things. And we got bands and chains on there at the same time. And, boy, it's really hard to do that. So that must be working. And it's really, if you look yeah. at how to apply those methodologies from scientific foundations, <clears> now <throat> I can really, I can really take off with an athlete or an individual that wants to use some of these advanced strength training techniques. Yeah. So all that said, back to you. Yeah. I, I, the first thing that kind of comes to mind with me is I know when we talk about programming is we think about the use of accommodation, right? Which is you're talking about adding physical chains to a bar, uh, whether that's squatting, whether that's benching, we could get into some lunging and things like that if you wanted to, right? Simple, right? But the, the chains are essentially long enough that they're, you know, contacting the ground. So as we descend, the weight is going to change, right? The amount of resistance that's on that bar, or the actual weight that's on that bar is going to change. As we go up, the amount of weight's going to go up because we're lifting more of that chain up and off the ground. And the same thing with like bands. If we attack, uh, attach a band, connect it down to the rack, as we go down, the tension on that band gets less. As we go up, the tension's going to go up. So the idea is, is that working through that kind of varying level of accommodation through that range helps improve our strength levels because most of the time we see folks 
right? If they get to this point of a bench press, for example, right? Guess what? I can probably finish it because I've got a good mechanical advantage based right. on uh, all of this. The same with a squat or what have you. And so the idea is, is that we're going to actually have higher amounts of resistance at the most advantageous points of that, which helps us build higher levels of force output um, in a very like basic sense, right? So that's kind of the, the basis behind this. And my thought typically as we start talking about this is there's a method in programming that a lot of us in, in the strength conditioning world are kind of accustomed to called like conjugate training and conjugate training deals a lot with accommodation. And we're talking about folks that are very kind of heavily focused on powerlifting type activities, right? Squat, bench, deadlift, those types of things. And they stagger a day of a bench or a squat on Monday, followed by a, a day of accommodation where they're going to add bands, chains, those types of things, followed by an, another day of traditional lifting for, say, a deadlift, followed by a day of accommodation for that deadlift. And so they kind of like mishmash in a four-day kind of cycle of how they incorporate this type of training from traditional base strength work to the accommodating day to a traditional day to an accommodating day and that's you know what i've seen is is been a lot of use of that is it what's your thoughts on that yeah and what i'm what i'm seeing too joel and we're going to go down a little bit of rabbit hole here is the the the, the word conjugated in conjunction with something else so that originally, in my understanding, occurred with Mel Siff in his super training book a number of right. years ago. And then Westside picked it up and said, well, we're going to do conjugated training. And then what's conjugated training? Well, anything that we right. do out of Westside is conjugated. And we'll, we'll tell you what the definition of that is. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, eh, it doesn't quite work that way. So, and if you're going to work or pair movements, similar movements, maybe even opposing movements, I don't care. Um, you're just working in conjunction, trying to get one plus one is greater than two is, is kind of the, the concept. Would you agree? Right. Yeah, most definitely. Right. So we're going to work bands and change accommodated resistance in conjunction with some of our just traditional barbell lifts. Um, yeah, it works great if you know what you're doing or else it can work very poorly and you can get yourself like, wow, it's not good. It, it totally didn't work for me, which means you probably weren't applying the right resistances and sets and reps and uh, the, t the timing of it is important too. So the frequency of the training is going to be important as well. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, some other things in addition to, right. So we've talked a little bit about Olympic lifting. Um, we talked a little bit about accommodation, right. One of them that we see a lot of now, which is super popular is like kettlebell based movements, right? So let's talk about kettlebell swings. We can do Olympic based movements in, in right. kettlebell form and, and that type of thing. Kettlebells for you, use them, don't like them. You know, I do. Um, I just think that you need to be careful when you're starting to incorporate them into your workout. So someone that has years of strength training will start to say, well, I want to do some, some kettle, just let's just say we're going to do some kettlebell workouts. Uh, um, maybe not exclusively, but we're going to start to incorporate them. And then you pick out say three, four or five different exercises on kettlebells in the, tr again, the contraction dynamics change considerably 
and also the loading and the biomechanics of those movements. So a one arm kettlebell swing, I was looking at this one study, um, it was done a few years ago and they wanted to see what the effects were kettlebell swings on vertical jump. I'm always interested in a better vertical jump for sure. And they showed some significant improvements enough to like, that is really, that catches my attention, but they were doing um, the, what we, what we call the protocol for the, the study was, I believe it was, God, it was, it was something like eye opening, like eight sets of 30 second kettlebell swings um, I, I don't think, I don't, I think they had maybe like two or three minutes between and they showed like an average uh, vertical jump and it was a college, college program with college athletes in the, in the, um, in the study as well, like a two inch increase in vertical jump. And I'm like, you know, I know you can do that when you're in college, but if I take a 30 year old, you know, experienced resistance trained recreational plus uh, weightlifter and have them do that. That rotation on the force and those torques, those rotational forces can manifest themselves with some pathologies, which means you're probably going to get hurt if you're going to just jump into that protocol. And you know me well enough, Joel. I'm going like, well, what's the product? What did they do and how can I apply it in my program? So I guess what I'm suggesting is you can phase that stuff in reasonably. And I I think with with kettlebells in in particular, too, you kind of have two different lanes. One is just basic strength training. I like to use them for some of my strength training movements, lowers the center of gravity, gets a little bit more stable. I can load the hips in a particular way that I want to do them. Or if you get into some of your swings and the swing variation and the catches and the presses and the cleans and the snatches, okay, well, we're getting a little bit more uh, technical about them. And there's a lot of people that are, I mean, honestly speaking, that are very good at kettlebell programming and they've taken their time to get that good too. So proceed with yeah. caution would be my, would my recommendation at first. Yeah. Now to ask you the same question, how do you incorporate them into your program? Yeah, for me, I, I'm a big fan of kettlebells, but I also kind of like, I asterisk the kettlebell thing all the time. And I say, the person who, who comes at me and thinks the kettlebell, the kettlebells, the end all be all drives me nuts. Yeah. I'm just going to flat out say it right where yeah. it's, it's just another tool, right? We've talked about bands. We've talked about chains. We've talked about dumbbells. We've talked about bars. We've talked about, you know, now kettlebells. And I'm like, it's just another piece that we utilize. Right. And so for me, I'm a big fan of a lot of basic stuff with uh, goblet squatting. For example, we'll actually use them for some, some really basic things in terms of like assistance to get into like deep squat positions, working on some hip mobility. Uh, I do like swings. Uh, I do a lot of swings in just like two handed fashion. I like the hinging aspect of that and what we get in terms of postural muscles in the back, right? Putting those glutes and hamstrings on stretch, learning how to kind of like find rhythm. I'm a huge fan of rhythm, right? And like doing a clean kettlebell swing requires you to like find some rhythm. And so I do like some of those things. And then quite honestly, I teach a lot of stuff where getting people into like a rack position with the kettlebell where I'm holding onto it here, getting them to here. And I do a lot of single side loaded stuff. We'll do lunging single side loaded. We'll do uh, rear foot elevated single side loaded. Uh, I like to do some, some other activities that are just traditional in nature where we'll curl and press or even do like overhead pressing with the kettlebell on single side. So to me, I think that changing implements 
from your standard dumbbell to those things, it just changes the proprioception. It's going to change the grip parameters. It's just creating a different stimulus for all the other things. And to me, it's just another component of adding some variety to a lot of existing things that I already do uh, with a few of those kind of nuances of more kettlebell based exercises. And, you know, I don't have a massive stable of them where it's like an entire workout is based off of them as much as it's just, Hey, this kettlebell exercise, next one's going to be right. with dumbbells. Next one's going to be with a bar or whatever. So, um, but I, but I do like them for sure. Joel, that's, that's like the fifth time that you've said the exact same movements and reasons why you like the movements that I do too. The exact same stuff, the goblet squats, the overhead stuff, the, um, you know, the hip mobility too. I'm like, yeah, do that all the time. Did that today. Yep. That's another yeah. one that I do too. Yeah. So we're once again on the same page. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's good. Um, we pattern here, I think. I know. Well, we, we have to find some things maybe we don't agree on. Maybe people would enjoy that more. <laughs> um, but that, you know, but that that's okay, right? I think that it, it is just simply based on principles and understanding yeah, where, the, where these where these things should lie, which leads me kind of to my next my next question, which is one of the things that gets misunderstood, misapplied and often bastardized is realizing where these things fit in your program. And in this, I'm talking about prioritization because we're talking about things that are going to have a little more technique involved. They're going to require a higher level of neuromuscular output. They might require a little bit higher level of cardiovascular output because our effort level and intensity is going to go up. So let's just talk real briefly. This, this should be like a slam dunk for you, Mike. Where should we do these? <laughs> Generally speaking, and by and large, they're done on the front end of your workout where you're not fatigued, uh, ground-based movements first, involve a lot of muscle mass, you know, full body <laughs> movements. If you're even to do like a, a, a clean, do a press, um, which, which is a great combination too, by the way, uh, put it on the front end of your workout and that's kind of where it lies. So then you slow the movement down um, to ground-based movements, non-explosive movements. Let's just call them squats, lunges, overhead presses. Uh, excluding jerks. Jerks are typically done on the front end of that. And then you can kind of go into single joint movements and or machine movements and then assistant, assistant type movements as well. Right. So um, yeah, that's kind of the progression and that's how we do our programming. That makes the most yeah. sense. And it's tried and true. Um, yeah, that is kind of, you don't have to flip it upside down. You don't have to pre-exhaust. Um, you know, any of that stuff first is really going to be counterproductive. Yeah. And, and this, again, so we talked about the pros of some of these things, which, you know, I tried to kind of give CrossFit a little bit of a, a kudos because obviously, in, unless you're a disciple, most people are on the other side of the fence and massive opposition, right? Here's one of my pet peeves with CrossFit. Doing Olympic power, explosive, high <laughs> neuromuscular activities under extreme fatigue. You want to know where people get hurt? Right freaking there. And they're going to well, get hurt a lot. You, you could probably just, you know, there's that direct correlation. It's like, well, what you were, you were on <clears throat> what repetition of that set. Say you got to do, you know, 30 cleans yeah. at, at 60 kilos. It's going to happen towards the end of that set. If you're going to have that acute tweak for sure. For, yeah. So, for sure. You know, you know, the other thing too, Joel, we should mention is, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to do some of this, um, you know, max effort, uh, 
um, high capacity type work with a barbell explosive movements, the technique that's used is different than we use for power output with lower repetitions as yeah. well. So they're not doing the same technique. It works very efficiently what they do. And, you know, there's a little, they, they get really good at it. Let me put it that way. Yeah. I want to, I want to be nice. And, and I, and I think that you have to understand that as if we have good technical proficiency and we're doing these things in uh, the right kind of uh, applications, we also have to understand that when we talk about these being like high nervous system output, right? We've got a high amount of effort in terms of muscular, uh, you know, power that we need to generate with these types of exercises. And you've heard us talk about this before. I know in the last one that we, that we did, I mentioned how our mission here is objectivity, right? And when we talk about this subject in general, we know through science through research that if we're going to do these like high output activities at high velocities that require a lot of technique that if we get up to four and five and anywhere uh in terms of repetitions beyond that the neuromuscular junction the neuro the neuromuscular junction which is the nerves are what tells our muscles what to do and what amplitude to do it and recruiting everything and how much, you know, it's asking that muscle to actually output that that connection and that communication at about that five repetition range is typically going to start dissipating, meaning that it that it's not going to allow us to continue outputting at that intensity or at that effort. And so going back to my statement about like my pet peeves, right? How many times do we see people in, you know, the CrossFit games and things like that? And we're like, oh, we're going to do snatches for two minutes. Guess what? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you lose. Uh, you know what? You can leave all the comments you want down here. I'll leave you plenty of articles that will go right back to supporting exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. And you're never, ever, ever going to convince me otherwise. Yeah, true. Hey, um, real quick. So if you're going to do a clean or a snatch, um, how many, what's, what's the max number of reps that you would use for uh, power development? Um, max number of reps I do probably, uh, the most that I ever do is if we're in light, a little bit like lighter intensities early on in, in some of the stuff is six. You can go to a six. Yeah. I'll, I'll go to a six, but mostly when I do that, six is probably going to be with like jerk variations. Okay. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm a five not, guy just yeah. because I'm just a five guy because I typically, you know, you're coaching every rep. So yep. if I'm going to teach someone, they might do eight. They might do, you know, I mean, they're going to do, you know, do one, do two, do three, do one, um, back and forth that way. But if I'm in a program, I don't typically go more than five. Yeah. I, I, I mean, just, the, like I I just said, know the number that, that that's the yeah. number that I work from and it's easy for cleans me to work from. Cleans and snatches. I never go more than five. Yeah. Um, Jerks yeah, as, as as an accessory, sometimes I'll go up to six with those, but five is agreed is, is typically that number. And again, based off of what we know from, from research and science and how the neuromuscular system works at those outputs and velocities and things like that. Yeah. Again, these things don't become subjective. You know, you and me go like, oh, I just like that number. It's like, no, guess what? <laughs> there's actually, there's actual reasons for these things. Um, Who knew? We're, we're trying to like 
convey this stuff in a manner that that yeah. is it doesn't make us sound like a couple assholes who just seem really opinionated right um, <laughs> even though we probably are but that's all right. well agree with us or be wrong yeah exactly right that's, <laughs> so um what, what else so we talk uh, we've talked a lot about you know different types of exercises we've talked about some other uh you know applications where do these things belong i know, you one, know Joel, one for me that fits in this one that is something I use a ton of is uh, sandbag base work. I'm glad you mentioned it. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I don't use much of it. I see a huge application. Uh, I was kind of curious to, you know, pick your brain a little bit about that. You know, how, when do you when do you use it? How often do you use it? I think it's got a ton of application for mountain hunting, hiking, oh, for sure. Uh, pack pack outs, whatever. I mean, so, so how do you incorporate that? And, you know, what are your parameters? So myself and Patrick McHenry colleague, you know, you know, Patrick very well got, got into the sandbag business about, I don't even know, 15 plus years ago. And it was before sandbags were cool. And Patrick McHenry comes to me and says, Hey man, these things are going to be huge. Like I'm telling you, like sandbags are going to be like the next wave. Right. So we write a book, on sandbag training, 101 sandbag exercises. Go shop for it now. I don't know. It might not even be out there still. I don't know. They quit sending me royalty checks. But um, but it, it was one of those things where I started to see the versatility of a sandbag. We can use it in our traditional barbell, dumbbell-based ex exercises. We can use it. We decided and eventually evolved into making our own sandbags. If you... Yeah, ever in the market, I promise you our sandbags are the best on the market. Uh, we made them military grade for the intent of us being able to drop them, throw them, be super aggressive with them because we wanted them to be able to do some of these power-based exercises. We wanted them to be uh, capable of adjusting. So our bags adjust uh, 10 or more different variations of weight with one single bag. And so I use a lot of them and I'm not trying to like kind of pitch this, but at the end of the day, we use them in all of our traditional base exercises. I love using them for modified base programs. I had a pitcher come in today, baseball kid, college pitcher who just had a PRP uh, shot about two weeks ago. And guess what? I modified some things because he can't really be lifting, grasping, throwing. So, but we can shoulder some stuff, right? Um, we could go here, which is a lot easier than necessarily using a bar, right? I could go in front in a front rack position or a zerker position and so nice. i like to do a lot of things with them in that fashion and at the same time as you mentioned think of what we do with western hunt fest for example we use about 250 pounds of sandbag weight to mimic the dry weight of what would be a quartered out bull elk somewhere in that neighborhood it's a little bit more than that right so i love those variations with sandbags because Again, it's going to create an environment where the proprioception with that isn't the same as a bar, isn't the same as a dumbbell. Uh, I've got grip things that are going to change with that. I've got to be able to control that. It's a little bit less traditional. And I like to be able to go one up here and hold one in my down downside. And now we're working on trunk dynamics and integrity of the spine and anterior core with, um, you know, posterior kind of uh, 
variables in, incorporated in that. And if you go to our YouTube page, I have an entire series of kind of what my build up to, let's say our, our rucking actually looks like. I can provide you with a link up there and, um, you know, it gives you a really good example of what I like to do with bags and, and they're, they're infinite to me. So that's probably a really long winded answer. Hey, Joel, I was going to ask you too, and it kind of gets me kind of circling back around to some of these more advanced movements, but um, are you using that? And we're going to get fancy here for a second for any potentiation uh, like carriage, load carriage before training. So kind of like a, a, a ramp into uh, some of the power movements that we spoke about earlier. So are you using that sandbag for, for carries, I guess is what I'm asking. For sure. Yeah. Totally. I, I, I love to do those types of things. And and just so that people know, like potentiation, we're kind of talking about doing something prior to another exercise, typically that's going to be kind of in the realm of the stuff that we've talked about more power driven, a little bit more explosive, maybe higher velocity, and so an example of that might be, hey, we're going to do a front racked sandbag squat followed by, let's say, a box jump or um, mm -hmm. a, you know, a, just a regular vertical jump where we're trying to get some power out of them or something like that, or even a, a dumbbell jump squat or something like that. And so the use of that prior to helps improve the output and the result in step two of that process, which is going to be that more explosive or dynamic effort. Um, go ahead. I was going to ask you too, Joel, um, speaking about that, we, we haven't really touched on our maybe uh, interpretation of conjugated movements too. So we've talked a little bit about potentiation, which means we're going to do something before and then it's followed by another activity and that, that prior activity is going to potentiate the second one. So for instance, if someone wants to run real fast, they might do a heavy set of squats to stimulate their nervous system first. There's also been some studies done on vibration training um, in vertical jump and how that stimulates the nervous yeah. system before doing the vertical jump. But to, to kind of come way back around to our conjugated, how about a box jump and a squat? How about that efficacy? I love it. I mean, Same. I, I, if, in I think it was the last episode I mentioned doing creating programming where you're thinking more about movements and not muscles. I'm going to kind of reiterate that again. And so for me, I think about you know a squat pattern, right, followed by something that looks very similar in profile, right. So the forces are uh, very similar, but obviously now going to be at a much higher output, right? And so I'm a huge fan of I'll do two and three exercise clusters that follow a squat pattern, right? So I might do a regular traditional squat, any variation, go ahead and call it whatever you want, right? With whatever implement, followed by, let's say a med ball, like a granny toss and exploding up with right. a, a, a eight to 10 pound med ball. And now Let's go do that box jump, for example, where there's no resistance whatsoever. And now I've taken two steps to get to that in itself. So uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. I think bang for your buck. It's a really good way to incorporate some of these things. Um, and I've found in our programming with the, with the athletes that, that I work with, folks that, I, that I've trained, it's shown really good positive correlators in terms of our output.
Yeah. Hey, can I can I grab the wheel here for a second? I just got more questions. Um, so there's this concept out there, and it, it seems to you and I, we, we've known about these things for maybe even a couple decades. And now once they kind of go mainstream, you know, people are starting to use terms like as many reps as possible. Uh, the one that kind of caught my attention, and I've known this for more than 10 years now, is reps in reserve. So, and there's been a few docs out there, Andy Fry in particular was a proponent of, and you talked about neural recruitment, higher threshold fibers. And then as that set goes on, your repetition goes on in order to recruit those fatigable high threshold fibers, which we know as type two A's, they're harder and harder to do. Well, they fall off as that, as that set goes on and on. So what we've seen here in more of our main street is we'll keep a couple reps in reserve, R-I-R. Give me your thoughts on that, your applications, yeah. observations. Yeah, I, I think, again, going back to, to talking about what we talked about last week with the Strength Podcast, um, you know, I, I mentioned how I gave the example of the guy. It's like, I have to squat 400 pounds, right? And that guy goes out and insists on squatting 370 and 380 and 390 till you know, banging his head against the wall day in and day out. And as you mentioned, right, those high threshold fibers, the fatigability of them is like super short, right? Like they're going to fatigue out. And if you continue to train in a manner where you're always, I always call it like touching the wall, which is like tapping into that. And you do that, the fatigability and recovery from that is going to extend that window much more. And you're not going to see the result based on the fact that if you're always pushing that like max threshold out, odds are that you're going to plateau a lot faster. Right. And I think it goes back to what you and I have talked about already on here, which is, it's hard to get people to understand sometimes that training at 85% is still an okay thing. And so if I'm getting to where, and a lot of times for me, as we talk about this stuff is I'll say, Hey, I want you to do six reps, eight reps, whatever you want to say. But I'll say, I want you to think about doing them at an eight out of 10, uh, somewhere in that neighborhood, eight out of 10, meaning your effort level is about an eight out of 10. I'm like, well, what's that mean? I say, well, by the time you get to the last two reps, i.e. rep and reserve, I said, I want you to be at the point where you're starting to like to like work a little bit, but I don't want you to get use a weight or a load to where that last one or two reps are actually fail. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the same. Yeah, absolutely the same. So when we're working with someone and we're saying all the same things, it's like, if you can do it for 10, let's actually just do it for eight. But we also need to mention is the intent of those repetitions, um, bench right. presses, because everybody knows it, uh, is you're going to do, say, a set of five. I want you to push as absolutely as hard as you can for those five reps. Well, I can do a couple more. Stop. Stop yep. right there. I rarely go, if I'm working top end strength, I rarely go to fatigue 
with a repetition max. It's yeah. just, it just matter of fact. And if I'm, mm-hmm. if I'm working closely with someone, if I see that bar starting to slow down and you know, you're shooting for a five, but it's slowing down yeah. on rep three sets over, I'll literally just grab it and put it back. Well, why'd you do that? You know, they don't say that, but right. um, you know, if someone saw what was going on, they'd be like, well, you could have done that for a couple more. Um, right. And I was getting goofy with a, a couple kind of training buddies. We were going back and forth on some front squats and, so I've, I've been easing back into it. They're like, dude, you could have done that for five. And I was like, yeah, no, that's, that's not going to happen. For, for, yeah. I'm, I'm just not going to do it, period. Hey, but I did want to ask you too, uh, unless you want to expand on that a little bit now. No, no, go ahead. So it, what, what's worked for me through experience in programming is that, you know, the squat's just one of the foundational movements as a strength conditioning coach that we are intimately familiar with. Um, do you like the back squat, front squat, um, squat twice a week, or what's, what's kind of your, you know, with, with someone that's been, has some, some decent foundations and say several months of experience, what, what do you, what do you like to, how do you like to cook that recipe? Uh, I typically, again, I think about it from a, a movement perspective i want a squat movement and i am not someone who is just dead set i'm like we have to back squat every week to me i want a squat movement every Mm -hmm. week and i'll probably do some different variation of a squat movement twice a week and so for me i'll have a day where maybe it's going to be a trap bar deadlift um we have a really nice uh, piece of equipment from a company called Kabuki. They have a transformer bar that's a lot more forgiving, I will call it, in terms of some of our other squat-based movements, front squat, back squat, those types of things, split squat, where the bar will actually change where that load is at a little bit. Um, And it's just phenomenal. And so I will utilize one of those types of things on a day. And then guess what? My squat movement on let's say a Thursday from, uh, as opposed to my squat movement on a Monday might be a little bit more accessory based. Maybe we're going to do a goblet based squat. Maybe we're going to do a hinge or an RDL or something of that nature. And so I just really like to change those things. And and once again, as you've heard me say on here, you're not going to come in and bench every single Monday with a bar. We're going to do dumbbell bench. We're going to do cable based chest pressing. We're going to use uh, kettlebells. We're going to use a bar for sure. Right. And so for me, that's kind of how I go about most of those, which is like this zigzagging of, yeah, we'll do some traditional based stuff followed by using some of these implements that we've talked about today as kind of our auxiliary accessory kind of like day two variations in order to try and keep some type of stimulus going and change the, how the load is being handled and those types of things, which to me, I think helps a little bit better in terms of fighting off staleness and those types of same. I would add just to, to put my own little know, jargon on top of that is that's that second day or that complementing day. What you've done is mechanically change that movement. It doesn't mean your efforts any less, but the, the uh, overall fatigue management is a lot easier on some of these access- right. accessory movements as opposed to, say, for instance, the, the uh, Kabuki bar, which is pretty yeah. slick. Matter of fact, just to kind of go offline here a little bit, I went down to see uh, the 10th Group's gym. Um, have you been down nice. there? I've, I've seen. It's amazing. 
Yeah. Yeah. They've got the bars and the racks and the kabuki oh, yeah. stuff. And oh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. They put together a heck of a program there with a good friend of ours. For so, sure. Yeah. Cool stuff. So I was supposed to be down there next week, actually, to teach a course uh, at Fort Carson with uh, one of their, um, I think it was supposed to be another, it wasn't 10th group, but it was another uh, special ops group down there. And out of the new gym or out of the, I don't know. I I've taught one to uh, more just on base down there prior to where we were working with, uh, some of their, um, bomb and explosives guys, uh, EOD oh, okay. guys. And, uh, that was, that was interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But anyhow, what did, what do we miss Mike before we, before we kind of sign off on this and, and kind of put a bow on this? Well, what I was thinking, too, is what we probably ought to do is talk a little bit about sets, reps, maybe um, intensities. You know, let's just leave it as far as a percentage of a 1RM. Uh, advanced resistance training programming. You said touch the wall. I know exactly what you mean. Um, could you just break that down into sets and reps? So if someone really wants to get into Hey, look, I'm trying to really complement my base strength levels with, with some power and advanced strength training methodologies. Just, you know, grab any exercise just as an example. And you know yeah. what? I'm not going to even repeat it because we're on the same page on everything. So you go ahead and lay it out. So typically for me, uh, I like to start with most of these types of exercises with the only exception of that being like kettlebells, where I may do swings at a little bit higher volume, say eight. 10, sometimes maybe 12, that type of thing. But if we're talking about any of our accommodating exercises, if we're talking about any of our Olympic-based exercises that we just discussed, I'm a th three sets of five kind of out of the gate, working up to potentially doing four sets of five. And from there, then we start kind of expanding on our sets and lowering our reps as our intensity continues to climb. So I may go from that to four sets of four and maybe five sets of four and then working down into doing triples or sets of three. And for the most part, even though a purist in Olympic lifting, right, those, those folks will get down to where they're doing literally singles and they're going to be in the, in the gym for two hours trying to get six good reps because they're trying to get full recovery, which is a little bit out of context for most of what we're talking about in our folks. So I don't usually get a lot lower than three just based on the fact that I don't have anybody I'm trying to get max effort lift uh, in a snatch or a clean or a jerk. There's no competition coming up where they're going to have to have to, you know, require full output right. at, at, you know, 90 plus percent. So for me, I'm usually operating in that three to five range. We're going to do three sets. We'll progress to four. Occasionally we'll get up to where we'll do five. Some people will go all the way down to doing, you know, seven sets and eight sets of two and those types of things. I, I don't get there, but maybe you do. Well, no. And I do the same thing you do, but I would add the reason why I like, and, and you do do the same thing is that three by five, after that, and if you have an appropriate load on that bar, and we've already gone through our warm-ups and all the other front load, once you get down to three by five, that individual, they just don't have the capacity to do a fourth or a fifth set right. effectively. So it's like, okay, put it down, get away from it, and they'll come back next time. And you see these incremental jumps with the individual on literally a day-to-day -day and week-to-week basis. They'll... Mm -hmm. 
start cleaning it up and then the movement becomes more proficient and their coordination becomes much better as well. And I guess that's, that's, that's kind of what, what, what you're saying is, and then I build on up to, you know, the other thing about these Olympic weightlifters and I, I follow through, I used to compete a little bit um, is that they've developed a tolerance for Olympic weightlifting and clean and jerks and snatches and variations. You just can't, apply a reasonable load on the bar and have a younger individual say, I want to go in there and train for an hour and 10 minutes of Olympic movements. They just do not have the bandwidth no. or the capacity to do that. So all that, that said, that, that would be my observations. As that, well. There's a reason why those two, two lifts, which is the clean and jerk and a snatch are their own events in the Olympics. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, so I love anyhow. it. I appreciate what they're doing wholeheartedly, yeah. but, yeah. but, but, but just, you know, I guess to get back around to some of these advanced strength training movements, um, and resistance training movements, I think we've kind of covered quite a bit there. There's a, that's a pretty big bite of the cookie. Yeah, most definitely. I think that it, it is something where if you're looking for more of this type of stuff, if it's something that you're curious about, first and foremost is make sure you're either working with or getting good understandings of how these lifts should be executed because guess what if you just think you're going to jump right in and do some of this stuff odds are if you haven't built up any any tolerance or kind of that foundation that we talked about good chances of risk injury going up drastically right and so it's a waste of your time you are literally wasting your time if you don't know how to use these movements correctly and there's some nuance to it that's that's very specific and, and the other part of it, too, is like you also have to understand if you're not doing them well, meaning technically proficient, you are also not going to see the same type of force output profile that the exercises are intended to produce, meaning that you're completely inefficient at them. And as Mike said, at that point, you're wasting your time. You're actually not going to get any better until you learn how to do them effectively and proficiently. So, um, very good point for sure. Agreed. Yeah. Well, once again, here we are pushing up to an hour and I think that I'm always amazed at how much we can cover and how much we still could probably continue to go through. But, um, I appreciate again, once again, kind of walking through another episode with you and your insight. Thank you again, Mike. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to our page, we would greatly appreciate that. We always love, People that give us feedback, if you have some of that, please provide it. If you have questions, if, again, you want to challenge Mike or I on some of these things, leave your comments down there. We're happy to interact or provide areas where we can show you, again, in those show notes. We've been adding links to things that are coming from stuff outside of Mike and I in terms of, of opinions and research and those types of things. So we're doing our best to try and support the things that we're saying and where they actually come from, which is super important to us and why we're trying to create this like line of separation of maybe what you're used to seeing that's out there as opposed to what we're trying to kind of uh, hopefully bend your ear a little bit about uh, on our side of the fence. So Mike, appreciate it. Can't wait for the next one. We've got some really good stuff coming up. I know the topics you sent me today were, uh, I'm excited to get on. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I've had a great time. Thanks again, Joel. Yep. All right. See you guys next time. See you, bud.